Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg, co-hosting with WFIU News Bureau Chief, Sarah Whitman. Today we're talking with guests about recent events involving homelessness in the city. And we have five guests joining us today. We have Mayor John Hamilton of the city of Bloomington, Forrest Gilmore, who's the executive director of Beacon Incorporated and Beacon oversees the Shalom Center. You may know it by that name. Chris Abert is the Indiana Recovery Alliance Executive Director. Harry Collins is joining us. Harry is a member of the Bloomington Housing Coalition and Homeless Coalition and is experiencing homelessness. And also uh, joining us is Efrat Pfefferman, the United Way Executive Director. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and send us questions there. And you can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. So in the introduction today, Sarah Whitmire um, read about some of the news that's been happening with um, homelessness in Seminary Park and the, the tents that were there. I want to bring Mayor John Hamilton in first to explain, you know, what's your strategy um, about trying to make sure that people who are experiencing homeless, homelessness as it gets cold um, are going to be in a safe and warm place. Well, thanks. Um, nice to be with you. And uh, since we're not in a room, can you hear me okay? Just making sure that's working. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks. It's nice to be with you all. Um, let, let me <clears throat> let me just say first, you know, this is this has just been an extraordinary year, of course, in so many ways. 2020 uh, with the pandemic has disrupted uh, so many lives. It has been a tough year for so many people in so many ways. Um, I want to, just as we're coming to the close of the year, it's, it's important to just express the thanks to all the people who work so hard to, to respond and to protect all of us uh, from healthcare workers. You're hearing about the vaccines to, uh, you know, to, to people serving uh, our community, who people who've lost homes, people who've lost jobs, people who face health crises. Uh, there's, there's, it's a very complicated and challenging year. And I just want to do express thanks uh, for all those who, who help and, and for the media who help, of course, tell the stories about what's, what's going on. It's been critically important to work together in this. Um, uh, we've been, I think, maybe more than more than typical. Uh, this community has pulled together and groups and individuals and institutions have worked together to try to respond to very, very challenging situations. And that, you know, that to the topic of the day, that certainly has included uh, people who are experiencing homeless, uh, people in deep poverty and the challenges of this year have have hit more people that way with with job loss and such and and people who are who are uh, grappling with substance use disorder or mental health and all of those things 
in, in, in complicated, uh, but individual ways have been exasperated this year. Um, I, I, when you ask what, what the strategy is, uh, I think it's important first to note that the, the city strategy is to collaborate and work with our partners. Uh, you know, the city is a, is a city, we're in a county and we're in a region. Uh, and frankly, we're in a, in a country and all of the all of us need to be working together to wrestle with this. The, the short answer to the strategy about homelessness itself is really housing first. I mean, the answer to homelessness, in a way to put it too simply, is is housing. Uh, that's how we end homelessness. And as a country, uh, you know, everyone should have the right to a home. We we we've seen you know a fifty year dramatic reduction in in national support uh, for for housing that trickles down and, and really hits us locally. There, there aren't simple solutions uh, to a complex situation where we are, but there are individual solutions. And, and I think in the city, we've, we've tried to focus on housing first. We've, we've been creating in the last five years about 1,100 uh, or more uh, units, bedrooms per year of new housing, generally new, some of it rehab, but generally new housing, including in that is something in the order of 250, 275 bedrooms a year of affordable housing. And and that's a range from housing that's affordable to people with no income, places like uh, uh, Crawford too, uh, or, or to places affordable to people with low income or, or moderate income. And we are working really hard as a team, as a as a group, uh, as a community, to do that. Uh, but it's still not enough, and we have people who are suffering from homelessness, uh, experiencing it, uh, and we're working hard to to get people into housing. I, I won't go on too much longer, but I'll just note a couple things. Um, most people, and and you've got people on the call who who know this and listening. We have a lot of people who go through homelessness in a given year. And the great majority of them are are temporarily there and are quickly put help to get back into housing, and that's that's the key uh, of the of many. The most are helped back quickly into housing, and that's what we need to do. Now there, then there are some individuals who experience chronic homelessness and longer term homelessness, and that's those are challenges to figure out how do we help people get into safe spaces uh, for that with shelters, uh, with, with rehousing programs uh, and emergency shelters and, and the like. Uh, and, and just I'll close the last example. Even just this week, um, I think today we announced, I think it opened last week, uh, 31 new units and 42 bedrooms just on the west side, uh, south of the cemetery near a, uh, with the new uh, special needs housing. And some of it focused on chronic homeless folks to help people actually get housing. That's the answer to homelessness is housing uh, and we work hard uh, to work with our partners on that. Okay, I want to I want to follow up with two quick things for the mayor before I move on. I mean, one is um, you're not new to this issue. I remember sitting down, you know, in my former life as a newspaper editor, I remember sitting down in a conference room with you and Forrest together because you were on the Shalom board. You may have been president of the board at the time. If that's I'm remembering, yes. remembering that right. And I think housing first was the issue of the day that day. Uh, just want to make that point. And then secondly, um, so what about, let's, let's talk specifically about the park. Uh-huh. So what was the strategy in the park? And, you know, why did you, why did those tents have to go? Sure. Uh, and um, 
so let's talk. We have about 30 city parks, give or, give or take a few more than that. And those parks, uh, let me be clear, are meant to be and are open to everyone in the city. Uh, those are parks that are publicly created and publicly available to everybody uh, from, from 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day. And we work very hard to remind everyone that everyone is welcome in a park. Uh, we have occasionally had behaviors of individuals in parks that meant an individual had to be told because of your destructive behavior, et cetera, at a park, you're not welcome in the park. That's very, very rare and has to be done through the parks board. But um, but it's also true that for many years, parks between 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. have not been available to sleep in. Parks are not a campground uh, for lots of reasons. And that's been a, a longstanding policy and one that we've, we've, we've kept uh, and observed to protect the ability to clean parks and keep them safe and protect the neighborhoods in which parks are sitting, that they don't become campgrounds. They're not designed to do that. And that's been the case, including at Seminary. And the Seminary has been a park that's been used by many people uh, um, uh, from, from 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. And in fact, we can talk about all the services that have been uh, targeted toward that park to try to help people who are in the park to make sure they can have the lives that we hope for them. It has also been consistently not a park to sleep in, and that was, uh, that's that been our approach in that park and others, to help people find housing and, and places to sleep if they need them. Now, last week, uh, there, was a, there was a proposal, and I think one of the issues that has caused a lot of concern and diff- different viewpoints, which is fine, there was a proposal to say there should be a new rule in all city parks that says you cannot have camping structures and tents and encampments during the day between 5 a.m. and 11 p.m. because it's been causing difficulty for the access of of everyone in the park. And that was the decision that the Parks Board declined to pursue last week to have structures uh, during the day in the park. Uh, And so uh, we have continued to allow and and, uh, there are people using structures in, in various parks, in particular seminary and others, during the day, and that's permissible and, and, and happening, uh, we continue to have the the policy that you cannot sleep in a park, uh, or I should say in, in sidewalks and public rights-of-way under city ordinances to, in order to protect general public safety, and, and they're just not safe places to be as well. So that was uh, that decision to allow, to continue to allow structures in parks during the day uh, was what the Parks Board uh, decided last week. And we're, we'll continue to look at how do we make the parks, which are so important to people, everybody these days, uh, how do we help make them uh, a place that serves uh, the public uh, and everybody who is welcome to be in the parks uh, every day. All right. I want to move on to Forrest Gilmore. So Forrest uh, is the executive director of Beacon Incorporated, formerly Shalom. Um, can you talk about you know, A, what happened last week with the parks, and B, about the, the cooperation issue that the mayor brought up. Well, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I think I think it, to some degree, the, the conversation begins the day before on Tuesday, um, when uh, 230 people came out uh, to a parks meeting, which is kind of unheard of. <laughs> Uh, many of and and uh, to to speak uh, their concerns about the uh, daytime ban of tents. Many of the folks in that in that conversation also spoke out about their concern about the overnight ban of tents, 
too, and, and many, of course, cited CDC guidelines that are currently recommending to not break up encampments uh, during this time, that the, that the breaking up of encampment, encampments causes uh, significant issues, can uh, further spread COVID, uh, reduces our ability to work with people and connect with them and, and engage them. Um, so all of that was kind of combined there. And the Parks Board, when they heard that, I think I think originally thought that this daytime ban, at least uh, maybe the staff thought, that this was going to be an easy thing to get past, and, and the board commissioners, in hearing that public sentiment, decided not to move forward with the, the daytime ban. Many of us in that room had sincerely hoped that that kind of outreach and effort um, would lead the city to decide that they shouldn't also uh, break up encampments at night, and we're really hoping that that would be a, an outcome from that that meeting, despite the fact that the, that ban remained in place for overnight use. The CDC guidelines are uh, there, and, and we were hoping that that would sway the city. Unfortunately, the very next night, Wednesday, um, the city did come through uh, to to uh, uh, break down the tents and to remove the people that were in the camp uh, there, and and did so, um, creating a, quite a quite a bit of a storm in the community. A lot of concern uh, raised about that issue. Um, uh, just widespread uh, concern, concern expressed uh, by many different organizations. My board itself, uh, the Beacon Board, uh, wrote wrote a, a letter expressing that was a bad decision by the by the uh, city, um, as well as uh, a number of township trustees, the Bloomington Township trustee, the Perry Township trustee, and others have come out against that. The Democratic party of Monroe County executive team has expressed sincere concerns about that action. So all of that combined together has put us in a position where we're really hoping that that the mayor will take seriously the CDC guideline recommendations to not break apart camps in these times uh, of COVID uh, to, to help us get through and better respond to people's needs and, and uh, to, to honor that recommendation. So thank you, Forrest. I want to bring uh, Chris Abert in. I know one of the issues that um, the city talked about was, you know, get, just cleaning the place up, cleaning up that park and the fact that there were a lot of, I believe, a lot of needles and things there. And and Chris, I wanted you to talk about, about you know, whether that was a, you know, what you think about that that concern and you know, we don't want to paint everybody who's suffering or who's in homelessness as someone who also has a drug addiction issue. Um, how, I guess I'll just ask you to talk about that too. Is Do those go hand in hand and how often do they? Yeah, thanks for uh, having us all on for a conversation today. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Great. Um, yeah, I was surprised to see syringes mentioned in the statement from the office of the mayor. I know that the CDC says you have to weigh the risks um, when you're looking at encampments, and it seemed to, to be indicating that there was a, a big public health risk for community-found syringes. Uh, and, you know, for years we've been meeting with the mayor and with city council, county council, and various leaders um, to show them the science. And the science is that there's never been a case of HIV transmission uh, from a community-found syringe, accidental needle stick. Uh, there's never been a case of hepatitis C transmission 
uh, in the United States from a community bound syringe accidental needle stick. So there's a there's kind of a public panic uh, and a lot of fear. And I get people are scared of syringes. They're scary. Uh, people don't even like them in the doctor's office. Uh, but there's there's this general public panic that we are somehow trying to protect the health of people who use drugs and at the same time putting the general community at greater risk because of these syringes. So I really, I want my message to be, and again, I have uh, quite a bit of peer reviewed data to back this up, uh, that, that the risk of a community found syringe transmitting disease is practically negligible. And I quote that verbatim from a medical journal, the words practically negligible. Um, we do know that uh, there is serious risk of, of clearing out those encampments, that we interrupt social service connections, uh, we disperse people. Uh, we know anecdotally from when People's Park, uh, the folks that were staying in People's Park were dispersed, that suddenly syringes were being found uh, across the city uh, where they weren't before. So again, it, it ends up exacerbating the problem, A, because people aren't able to you know, maintain connections Oftentimes those connections are life-saving connections, uh, and B, because it just disperses the, the problem. It doesn't solve anything. Um, there's also this idea that, um, I, I guess it also exacerbates the HIV. Let's never forget, right? We also have another syndemic happening behind COVID, which is HIV, hepatitis C, and overdose. Uh, and and it, it exacerbates that by stoking fear and public panic about syringes. So we don't want to ever do that. We don't want to hit vulnerable populations against each other. Uh, I was mentioning in another meeting earlier that a homeless person had described herself as one of the good homeless people. Uh, and she was juxtaposing herself to people who use drugs who are also experiencing homelessness. And, and we don't wanna do that. We know that most people experiencing homelessness have experienced trauma. Uh, we know that uh, engaging in drug use is one way of pe that people uh, medicate trauma, especially when they don't have universal healthcare access access to mental health services, housing, and all the things that we're talking about today. Um, so I, I guess I just, I think that there are so many options for this outside of sending police in to dismantle camps and further disperse and disrupt people's lives. We could talk about, have a serious conversation. This is a good point to talk about safe consumption sites, uh, which are all, used all over the world and can decrease improperly disposed syringes up to 80%. Uh, we can increase active involvement of people experiencing homelessness. You know, I myself have been homeless in Bloomington. I've had, you know, severe mental illness, substance use disorder, and there are many, many other people who need to be at the table, not in a focus group, but in real uh, decision-making capacity with real power and, and access to resources. Uh, but I guess I just ask that, my hope is that the city will come out and talk about the actual risk of uh, community-bound syringes so that we can you know, not incite fear, uh, unnecessary fear in people, but let them know that the actual risk, which is very minimal, uh, that we can have a public information campaign about that, start talking about safe consumption sites, uh, but primarily stop arresting people for possession of syringes, stop arresting them for drug possession under three and a half grams. Um, and, and, and overall, I guess, closing, talking about what's happening, we as a society oftentimes penalize people who are the victims of structural violence in our society. And we do that by instituting more violence on them, such as the dispersal of the camp uh, last week. We have to stop penalizing people, and, and particularly people who have to live their most private lives and their most private moments in the public eye. Uh, so, so hopefully we can keep 
keep that in mind and we can frame that rather than, oh, people are using drugs outside or people are, you know, defecating outside and acting as though that's the problem. The problem is people are in a position where they're forced to defecate outside, right? The problem is that these very private, intimate moments are in the public light and, and we all too often penalize people for that. All right, thank you. I want to I want to remind our listeners that if you want to follow us uh, on Twitter, it's at Noon Edition, and you can send us questions there. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. We've already heard from Mayor, City Mayor of Bloomington, Mayor John Hamilton, Forrest Gilmore from Beacon Incorporated, Chris Abert from the Indiana Recovery Alliance. We will be hearing from Efrat Pfefferman from Monroe County United United Way. And uh, now I want to ask uh, Harry Collins to join our conversation. Harry, you uh, weren't at the encampment, but in the uh, description given to me about you, it says that you're street homeless. So I guess my question to you is, what would you like to see as you know, city policy to help you um, to be able to live you know, to your fullest potential? It looks like you're muted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you there? Yes, sir, Harry. Thanks. Our audio connection is not not really too good, so I just barely heard a little bit of that. Okay. Well, the question is, what would you like to see from the the city uh, administration and from you know the social service community that would help you? Uh, and help others who are experiencing homelessness? I'm not going to put any of the city down or anything, but the the rent, we need the rent lowered or better affordable housing. Yeah, the mayor did, did mention some places that was said affordable housing, but a lot of us do not qualify for some of these programs to get in there. Some of us have multiple felonies. A lot, of, a lot of places don't rent to felonies. The rent in a lot of these new places being built are, are so expensive, they're built for the college, not for the people that live here year around. Uh-huh. So you and what I would yeah go ahead. What I would like to see is like I said more affordable housing, more places people can go to be off the. All right, we seem to have lost Harry's connection. So we got go ahead and. Um, Mute Harry now. Maybe we can get him back later. And I want to bring Afrat in from United Way, the executive director of United Way, and ask Afrat about um, services that are available at this point and, you know, what where people can go for help. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Uh, it's great to be here with everyone. And uh, we we have shelters in our community. Um, As of the moment, uh, they have some capacity to take folks in. And so I hope that those who um, aren't sure of their options 
you know, explore those, even if they have been um, suspended previously, those are not um, necessarily long-term standing suspensions. Um, I think all of the organizations, and when I speak about shelters, I, I guess I'm primarily talking about Wheeler missions and their men's shelter, and then the women's um, one that is going to open up uh, tonight, and then Friends Place, and, and Forrest can speak to that. Um, folks, you know, may have, um, for good reason, uh, you know, often if there's been a, a, a violent incident and the safety of other guests or staff are, are jeopardized, the, a guest may be asked to um, to leave for a while and come back when they're ready to work with with the program. Um, and and I think for some, you know, there there's that perception that once they got that message, they aren't welcome back. And I, I hope that can be corrected uh, because both of these organizations are more than willing to um, be as as least restrictive and as welcoming as possible. I, I do believe that, and they have capacity. I'm also um, heartened to um, see the work of the uh, the isolation shelter that was set up um, for COVID specifically for people who need um, that isolation to quarantine. Um, and that was a joint effort of, of all of our providers and our local government and, and United Way in town. Um, they, they have extra capacity and, and the change um, was just approved, as I understand, to, uh, to take on some other folks who maybe aren't there because of the need to quarantine, but just need to, to get off the street. So um, what is that, 15 spots for us uh, that will be um, added to, to our community's capacity currently. Now, that's not, that's not long-term, but that's what exists at the moment. Um, of course, we, we also have a lot of um, resources for food, um, you know, warm meals, uh, pantry items, and, and other things um, to help sustain folks and and other wraparound services, but I I, I do agree with uh, the points made about the lack of um, housing housing first uh, programs and and options. We have some good models in town with the Crawford Homes, um, and then with uh, New Hope for Families is a, a transitional family shelter. The outcomes um, for those types of programs are just so much better um than than shelter shelter is needed it's it's a it's a band-aid it's there for the the moment um but it's not what's going to get people to the next step and we have that bottleneck there um so i i'm i'm encouraged by the conversations um recently that that we're all engaged in that i think are recognizing that point and um we'll be talking a lot about how to scale up that capacity as, as we um, move along. So I, I think we've lost Forrest and Harry, at least for the time being. So maybe we'll get them back. Uh, Mayor Hamilton, you've, you've heard a lot. You've heard some criticism uh, from about the breaking up the, the encampment. I wanted to give you a chance to, to react to that. And, and also, I guess a follow-up question would be, have you considered whether, you know, there's a way to make a safe encampment place, perhaps, you know, perhaps in that park or in another park? Sure. Thanks. Uh, and I know we had logistics of, of Zoom. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. Um, 
look, this is a, a compassionate community, and I know uh, all of us on this call and, and discussion, as well as all of your listeners, our community is a compassionate community. We do a city survey, and one of the most uh, strong messages we hear is work together to help people facing homelessness. And I can't agree more than w- with Harry, uh, who, who poignantly said, we need housing. We, we need we need access to, to more affordable housing. That is right. Um, I'll just note, he mentioned felonies, which can be a barrier. There's also in this compassionate community, there's a new program statewide, but it's actually focused right here uh, that's focused on helping people get expungement of felonies because they can be a, a real barrier, not just to housing, but jobs and other things. And, and we absolutely need to keep working on creating more options for people with lower rent. But I, I do want to try to respond a little bit to some specifics because I think there's some misunderstanding and there, and there may be some disagreements. But um, first, on the, on the encampment, um, the, the Center for Disease Control, which has been a very important source for me and for our community uh, you know, through the whole pandemic, does not state, the CDC does not say, if there are people living in a camp, leave them in a camp. Um, the CDC is much more focused on trying to make sure we're looking at reducing risk for people. And it is true that if there are no better options for people, if there are no shelter beds, for example, or no safe spaces for people to go, and they are living in an encampment, that it could be the, the prudent thing to do not to disrupt that encampment. That is very different from saying if there's a group of people who are spending a day in a park and some seeking to sleep at night, that you should say definitely that's the right thing. In fact, we work very closely with many partners, and it is not a safe thing to sleep outdoors in Indiana, in Bloomington through a winter. That is not a safe thing. Um, Actually, the evidence from our emergency shelters, and hats off to them, they've done an extraordinary job this year in keeping people safe from COVID in the shelters. They've spread people out. They've put new protocols in place, and, and a lot of us partners have helped in that. And we've had very few cases of COVID uh, resulting from those shelters. That's that's just terrific work. And uh, I don't think it's accurate to suggest that the CDC guidelines say leave a group in Seminary Park. That's just that's just not the case. And they're now, I do think there's a difference of views among some people who do want to recommend that this city park or more city parks should become campgrounds. And that's a, there's a the legitimate view. There are people who feel that, that they think the city park should become campgrounds for people who want to stay there, even if there are other options for folks or, or if that's just a choice or, or the best option they see. Uh, I, I think that's a, there are a lot of people who don't think that's accurate or a good approach. It's not safe. They're not designed to be that way. They're very difficult challenges. It's a de- it's it's fair to have that discussion. But I think generally the the city and the community as a whole does not look at our public parks as the answer to homelessness, e- even in the short term. They're 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 not safe uh, or or staying in rights of way. We have people sleeping right, right next to streets sometimes. And, and you know, I'm a mayor. I, I worry about people losing their lives in our city. We've lost people to exposure. We've lost people uh, who aren't in safe places. So 
doing all that we can as a community to work on that is important. And, and the last thing I'll just mention, uh, we are, um, Chris Aber suggesting, the, the needles are not the reason that, that people should not be in the parks. Uh, we support, and he knows, I think the community strongly supports the needle exchange program and trying to help people deal with substance use disorder. I think there was data shared that simply showed there was about a tenfold increase, tenfold increase in, in needles discarded in that park uh, year to year, which is just an evidence of how the needs are changing. Um, people are not being ordered, uh, uh, dispersed in any violence. I, I, wanna, I want people to know as well, we have an extraordinary police department that is filled with downtown resource officers, uh, social workers, neighborhood resource specialists who spend every day trying to help people access services in, in the partners like Centerstone and Middleway House and, and others uh, who, who, who want to help and are there to help. And our police department has been extraordinarily committed to trying to help protect the safety of everyone and including people who are facing homelessness. And, and as we know, they, they, they're subject to more crime than, than the average person. So they're working very hard to protect that. So long, long and the short, you know, housing is the answer. Uh, it, it's not easy to, to do that. We're, we're making progress. Emergency shelter uh, is really important. And as Efrat said, we have capacity in the shelters and we want to do all we can to help people uh, get through the winter, get through the pandemic uh, and working with our, with our partners. We'll, we'll continue to do that. All right. We have uh, Chris Abert wants to respond and then Sarah Whitmire has a couple of questions that have come in from the public. So let's go with Chris first. Chris. I want to um, thank the mayor for the support of the needle exchange, exchange uh, for the public support. I also hope that, again, we can be very explicit um, about the science about improperly disposed syringes um, and that we can, again, talk about safe consumption sites and more opportunities for people for safe disposal and uh, not arresting people for possession of syringes. That's the number one reason we hear for improper disposal of syringes. Um, but I think, you know, with an increase in found needles, there's a few things I'd like to know about that. Uh, I know a couple of years ago, we were told that hundreds of needles were found in People's Park. And it quickly was, uh, it quickly, we quickly found out that they were talking about bags with unopened boxes of syringes, and that's 100 syringes. So it's quick to say, oh, there are hundreds or thousands of syringes, which sounds like thousands of uncapped syringes, like littering the, all of Bloomington, uh, when in fact, most of those hadn't even been open and were sterile. So I, I would like to have more clear data about that, if that's available through the parks. Um, and again, keeping in mind that, you know, if there is an increase in found needles, this is indicative that private space for people is, is even more limited due to COVID. So the closing of uh, bathrooms because of the closing of businesses, and, and to kick up the love a notch when we're talking about this and understanding uh, what it's like, again, to be exposed in the public eye uh, at all times. Forrest, I want to give you a chance to respond, and then I actually have a couple follow-up questions for you that have come in. Thanks, uh, Sarah. Uh, I, just, I just wanted to um, kind of, uh, you know, just... I didn't really think we were going to get into parsing the the CDC guidelines. They they clearly do not recommend the breaking up of camps and and uh, 
in in this time. And so I think I I think it's you know I don't want to get into the debate of what is is, but um, but they do not recommend the breaking up of camps in these in the in these times. And and the, anyone can can Google those the the uh, the guidance right quickly. Unfortunately, we're having some internet connections, and I can't Google them right now, but. But uh, I didn't get the impression we were going to get into that kind of parsing of, of language uh, here. I, I, I will say that you don't promote people's health by forcibly uh, dismantling their homes. And so while no one believes that the camps outside are uh, and people sleeping outside is necessarily safer for people, um, or a safe place to be. Uh, we're we're actively trying to prevent the city from making it worse by displacing people, by moving them to other locations, by damaging their goods as uh, their their things, and as those are are doing, as well as just the the um, public action of saying to people who are incredibly vulnerable, "You are not welcome here." I mean, there's a damage of the soul, not to mention a, a um, you know a, a, you know challenge to their own. Uh, things and 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 space and and for them their homes so i, I again I, I i seriously and sincerely call for the mayor to uh to call a moratorium on camp uh camp sweeps uh through this uh through the pandemic um so that we can help people where they are instead of trying to keep looking for them in new locations and help them get the support they need uh, in different ways after uh, they, their their networks have been uh, disbanded by the police and by the city's choices. We'll have to let the mayor respond in a minute. But Forrest, we got a question about collaboration with the city. The mayor talks a lot about collaboration. How did the city's office collaborate with your office the night in particular that the homeless camps uh, were removed from the park? And then a follow-up to that is what resources are being targeted to people's park now, or seminary park rather, sorry. Yeah, I think some of, I mean, we certainly were part of the events on Tuesday uh, urging the city to not uh, do the daytime tent ban and part of that conversation. So so uh, Wednesday we had a meeting with some city officials, a regular meeting that we have uh, at 10 a.m., um, and there was no mention of any kind of uh, park sweeps or park raid that night. Um, later in the afternoon, several of our street outreach workers met with um, members of the police department, and we were again we were told that actually there was going to be a hands-off approach, uh, given the conversation from the previous day um, and the, the meeting the previous day. So, um, so I. So I, my understanding is that the sweep was decided on sometime after that meeting with the police department. So I don't think they were actively uh, trying to give us bad information, but um, we were not aware of the um, the sweep that night at all. We were not told, and and I I I, I do wonder if we were not told because um, because of our concern about the sweeps in general. The uh, follow-up that Sarah asked for us is about resources targeted to um, Seminary Park. Yeah, what what is targeted there now, I think was the question. Sure, there's there's quite a bit of of, um, uh, ongoing uh, support for people in the camps. Um, There's a number of street street outreach uh, folks working with folks, trying to get them into better circumstances, um, trying to get them in... uh, 
get them basic support, basic survival needs, help them meet basic survival needs. So uh, just to stay warm, to stay dry. Um, and this is not just um, organizations that are doing this, but but there are community members that are actively uh, organizing to help support um, folks uh, there as, as well. So I think that's important to know is, is that um, it's not as if uh, the camps exist and people are just being left to their own devices. There's active work uh, going on and support going on with people in the camps to um, help them get the best resources they can. And, and to, you know, to echo the mayor's uh, point is a part of the issue and a major part of this issue is just we sincerely lack um, housing resources in our community um, for people uh, struggling with, with uh, especially extreme poverty. And that's the kind of, um, you know, that's the kind of folks we generally work with, people not just experiencing poverty, but experiencing extreme poverty. And there's very little resources for people in that zero to 400 uh, rent range. So, so there is, you know, some of this is created by the simple fact that there aren't places for people uh, to go that they can access um, homes. I, I mean, in our many years of working with Housing First, uh, we've only had a very few uh, folks in, in all that time actually refuse or not want to um, uh, move into a new home. <laughs> and those few times uh, have been when people have had uh, severe mental illnesses and that mental illness made them f- frightened of homes. Uh, but um, so so just to, to echo that is, is that uh, that homes really are are the answer. However, there has to be a compassionate approach for people when they're not uh, not currently in a home. One more follow up just to the resources in the in the park. Um, what are the tents that are there now and why is is that different than the tents that were removed earlier? Yeah, excellent. I mean, people basically moved back. Um, there, there's, there's right now. There's a, a little bit of a, if you will, detente going on, um, where people are camping in the public right of way and trying to stay out of the park itself. And there was an orange line that was painted on the grass there, and and uh, I believe people camping there were instructed to stay. Um, you know, outside or inside that orange line, depending on how you look at it. Um, so people are not necessarily uh, camping in in park property, but they are in the, the easement there, the public right of way there. Forest of Harry is there. Um, is yeah, he? He okay, good. Um, so Harry Collins, we've been talking a lot, you know, about people who are experiencing homelessness. And I wanted you to speak for yourself. I mean, are um, what do you what do you wish the community knew about you and other people who are you know faced with these issues and these these uh, problems? Well, me, I, like I said, I'm a convicted felon. Homes or apartments are hard for a convicted felon to get into, and I'm I just want people to know that we need homes we need places that people like me and a lot of the ones that are out here can afford instead of the six seven eight hundred dollar rent if not higher on some of these apartments that none of us can afford iu has raised the prices because the well 
the landlords let them. The landlords raise them, actually. And I was born and raised here in this town. But yet, I'm still homeless because I can't afford the rent. Getting a job is very difficult for me. I have been, I've got mental problems. I go through center stone. And yet, I'm still out here. A lot of us are. I want to see houses or apartments that we can afford. They used to be apartments in this town, like uh, down by Legends, where it used to be, well, what used to be Legends or Southern Southern Winds. People can afford them apartments. Well, they got tore down. Motel 6, getting tore down to build more, more, more apartments for the college. They're, they're tearing down all the ones that people, places that people can, could afford to build more higher price for the college. Mm-hmm. When the college is just here for a short period of time, we're here all the time. Let, let me follow up on that, Harry. How, so how, how many people do you interact with on a daily basis? I mean, how big is, is sort of your, your group of peers? Uh, the census, when they did the census, there was over 400 homeless out here in the parks and not only in the parks, but around this, around this community. And I would say I interact with almost 200 a day, roughly. Wow. Okay. Okay. Chris, Chris has his hand up. Chris. Yeah, I just, again, I wanted to uh, maybe focus on the subjective experience of this as well. Again, having experienced homelessness and, and um, you know, when I spoke earlier about violence being visited upon people who had already suffered from structural violence, uh, I mean, having all of your possessions taken away from you, uh, not to be hyperbolic, but having people who have guns coming and telling me what I need to do next. And, and implicitly knowing that if I don't comply with their orders, uh, that those guns will be removed uh, from holsters, I will be arrested and I will be uh, put into a cage. So when I say using violence, uh, that's what I mean. The, the threat of state violence is used against people who have suffered uh, greatly uh, already from structural violence. And while that, again, might sound hyperbolic to people who have not experienced it, uh, it is real and it is the experience. Uh, so this is one of the reasons that people nationally have been talking about moving resources away from, uh, say, the Bloomington Police Department uh, and to social services, to services that don't have that historical tie to the use of coercive force um, as their main uh, main tool. So. I guess I just wanted to clarify, A, what it feels like uh, on the other end of that, and B, why I chose that word violence. So we only have about five minutes to go. Um, We do have a question from um, Nicole Johnson. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Um, Mayor Hamilton, she says that the removal of uh, of the homeless is not new. It's been happening at least for a decade. Uh, You haven't been there for a decade, but um, I guess that's the the comment that it's not a new thing. And, and if you could react to that, but then before you do that, I'd like for you and Afrat and 
for us to all talk in the last five minutes about where we go from here. You know, what's what's next? How can we how can we um, work to work together to try to alleviate some of these issues? Mayor Hamilton. Well, thanks. Uh, and I know we don't have a, this is a big topic and I really appreciate the discussion about it. And it's a compassionate community and and I represent a compassionate community. And I, I thank I'm thankful that I do. Um, w- let me just we, we are we are as a city government taking a lot of steps on behalf of our community to try to help people live more successful lives. We are very sensitive to aggravating harms or to uh, causing further damage. We, we work very intensively and all of our people are trained very intensively to, to work uh, with our partners, uh, some of whom are here and many of whom are uh, around the uh, around the city to, to respond to these challenges. We're not taking property away from people or violently removing people. We are working with people to make clear they have options that are there and helping bus people to shelters with with open beds and those kinds of things. But I understand there, there are complicated views of this, uh, and it's important to... It, it is it is not a good solution through the winter to have people sleeping in parks or public rights of way. It's not safe. Um, we want to do all we can together to try to help people uh, be safe. Uh, and absolutely, affordable housing is is key. Uh, we will continue to work on that as we have very energetically. I, I can't help but note, and I'll, I know that we want time for others, I can't help but note that it was just... Uh, two or three months ago that I worked very hard to encourage our community through a new tax uh, uh, to focus $250,000 a year to directly toward homeless services. And I advocated strongly for that and we didn't get the votes. Um, this, that sometimes happens. People, people weren't ready for that and that's okay. But we will continue to work because it is, it is housing and these kinds of services that, that cost money and, and, and people are doing their very best in this very extraordinary year to help people like Harry, who, who as Harry very directly and poignantly said, we just, we just want housing. We just want to live our lives and not have barriers in front of us. And that is exactly right. And we're working very hard to do that. Sometimes there are complicated situations that we try to address uh, one person at a time to get better outcomes. And again, I'll just close by noting the vast majority of people who experience homelessness, we are as a community able to help them get out of homelessness and into housing and back into the lives that they want. But we still have work to do as a community, as a region, and and we'll keep focused on that. All right. We only have about two minutes to go. So first uh, a minute and then Forrest, you can wrap it up. Thanks, Bob. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, no, I, I I would say that uh, prior to COVID, United Way of Monroe County was really looking um, closely at this issue and other models around the country um, where housing has been ramped up, uh, you know, creative programs with landlord incentives or risk mitigation uh, tools, education. There, there's a lot that can be done. Um there there's there are some things we can do to help our neighboring counties and our region ramp up capacity um, to care for people where they are. And uh, I, I'm, I think it's it's fair to say we're all committed to um, to moving forward on uh, pulling an effort together that's comprehensive and um, and and meaningful and, uh, you know, something that um, 
won't be a quick fix, but uh, for the longer term. And and meanwhile, we need to continue to maintain the investments in our shelters and those stopgap measures in those support services. So it's going to take that two-prong approach, and uh, it's going to take all of us working together, uh, city, county, and beyond. So, um, you know, United Way is looking um, forward to being part of that solution. Okay. And for us, we are almost out of time. So just 15 seconds or so. Great. Uh, th- three brief, brief acts. A moratorium on on uh, disbanding and removing people from from the parks and city right of ways. Uh, direct funding for from the city for uh, and for other sponsors to people and providers, specifically collaborating and working on housing first. It's essential that the funding go to the people doing the right solutions. And third, we need to look at uh, getting a replenishable affordable housing trust fund not in the order of $250,000, but in the order of like 5 million. So we're building uh, regular uh, affordable housing complexes every year for people in our community. All right. Thank you, Forrest Gilmore from Beacon, Efrat Pfefferman from United Way, Harry Collins, who is in the homeless community, John Hamilton, the mayor of the city of Bloomington, and Chris Abert from the Indiana Recovery Alliance, uh, for producer Benta Boutier, my co-host Sarah Whitmire, And uh, John Bailey, our engineer, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Production support comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.